I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You're listening to the Kitchen Garden Magazine podcast, your fortnightly fix of gardening features, advice and chat. Subscribe and follow us now to never miss an episode. You're listening to Kitchen Garden Magazine, the home of down-to-earth advice for those growing their own fruit and veg. This is the April 2021 issue of Kitchen Garden, audio edition. Coming up on The Veg Patch, gardening expert Martin Fish is in the greenhouse as he prepares to plant tomatoes, controls greenfly and sows peas in pots. KG's top team solve your gardening problems such as moles, voles and flatworm. Plus, veg expert Rob Smith offers his top tips for growing great cauliflowers of many varieties. But first, top jobs for April. Tasks for your vegetable patch by Joyce Russell. Keep onion beds weed free. Onions are shallow rooting and they suffer from competition if the bed is full of weeds. Keep the soil clean and don't let it dry out if you want to grow some lovely large onions for lifting in the summer. Sow brassicas. Sow different types of kale and you can harvest from autumn through to late spring. Broccoli needs a long growing season too. Sow late sprouting varieties now to harvest at this time next year. Plant main crop potatoes. Choose waxy or flowery varieties to suit your taste. Look for some resistance to blight. Main crop varieties stay in the ground later and are more likely to get this disease than crops that are lifted sooner. Plant in early April for plenty of large roots to dig in the autumn. Pot on if you can't plant out. Plants that are outgrowing their plugs or cells should be moved to larger pots until they're ready to go out into their final planting position. Don't starve small plants of nutrients if you want to get the best out of them. Plant a herb bed. This can be a container or a garden bed. Plants grow quickly and produce lots of leaves in their first season. A good herb bed will last for years, so use good compost Allow plenty of room between plants and water as needed. On the veg patch. Three steps to better potatoes from a raised bed. Step 1. Dig the bed over and incorporate some compost, well-rotted manure or dried feed, depending on what's available. 
Use a dibber to make holes at 30 centimetres or 12 inches apart for earlies and 40 centimetres or 16 inches for main crop. Holes should be 15 to 20 centimetres, 6 to 8 inches deep. Put one seed potato in each hole with the shoots pointing upwards. Step 2. Cover the bed with grass clippings every time you mow the lawn. Do this to earth up around stems as the plants grow. This keeps tubers from turning green. Put a crop cover over the bed from the time of planting until frosts have passed. This reduces frost damage and stops birds scratching the mulch. Step 3. Use your hand to feel if roots are big enough after three to four months. Pull up the stems and the potatoes. The soil and the mulch should now be loose enough to allow this. When all the roots are pulled up and used, dig over the bed thoroughly to make sure you remove any stragglers and weeds. French beans. In mild areas, you can sow direct in the ground outdoors at the end of April. If late frosts and cold wet earth are a problem, then it is safer to start seed in pots with a little warmth. You can choose your moment to plant these out, depending on the weather. Sow a few extra seeds so you have enough to fill a row, even if some fail. And it is worth covering outdoor rows with a cloche until temperatures are settled and reliably above 12 degrees centigrade or 54 degrees Fahrenheit. Allow a little extra space between plants for these early rows. 25 centimetres or 10 inches should be fine. This allows air to circulate and reduces mould and mildew problems. The Hungry Gap This time of year doesn't have to be hungry at all. There is plenty still growing in the vegetable garden if you like your greens and the secret is to keep harvesting for as long as you can. It's a pleasure to enjoy the bounty of broccoli from seed sown last year and it's a delight to pick the first small mange two pods. Keep picking regularly if you want more to come and stretch out the harvest for as long as you can. Lettuce planted in March will be ready to pick soon and the hungry gap will be over before you even know it was supposed to be a problem. Encourage good pollination Trees may be full of blossom over the next few weeks but this doesn't automatically ensure that trees will be full of autumn fruit. Those flowers need to be pollinated to make fruit set, so try following a few techniques to aid the process. Learn about the varieties you grow. Make sure there are enough trees in flower at the same time. Some apples need two other varieties, some need only one, and some fruit trees are self-pollinating. Attract pollinating insects to your garden by planting a wide range of flowering plants. Herbs in flower can attract insects too. One bee may not pollinate all your cherry blossom, but a whole hive visiting the garden probably will. Use a paintbrush to transfer pollen. This requires patience and is usually only an option for special fruits or when flowers open on strawberries before there are many insects about. Dab pollen between flowers to make sure you get a good set of fruit. Rampant mint. Mint spreads freely once it becomes established and it can soon take over a bed. You can confine mint to a large container 
but it does grow better with roots in the ground. Be ruthless about digging up roots that extend beyond the patch you want. It is easy to see where they run when new shoots emerge. Dig out unwanted extras in April and again in late summer. Don't put roots on the compost heap. Courgettes and squash In milder areas you may get away with sowing these direct in the ground, but it usually makes more sense to sow what you need in pots with a little warmth. These tender plants will fail if they are frosted, so grow them on until temperatures are settled enough to plant out. You can opt to buy in small plants, of course, but you have more choice of variety if you grow your own from seed. Support peas and beans Rows of peas and beans need some support. Even dwarf and bush varieties seem to grow taller than it says on the packet, and they all do best if they don't fall over and trail on the ground. Push some small twiggy sticks along each side of a pea row. The plants twist tendrils around the twigs, and they hold themselves upright by this method. Add taller sticks as the plants grow, so they're always supported and firm in the row. Or you can stretch strong netting between posts along the row, and peas will use this for support as they grow. Set up A-frames for climbing beans, and make sure they're steady enough to stay upright in a strong wind. You may need to point growing tips towards canes, sticks or wires. But once plants are started, they know how to wind upwards and anti-clockwise. Use frames that splay outwards if you want to avoid a tangle of beans at the top of the frame. Add guy ropes to a structure if your garden is exposed to strong winds. Try growing peas through a trellis fixed to a wall. Plants will benefit from the shelter and extra warmth. Broad beans need support too. Grow them against a wall or use canes and strings along each side of the row. Pests and problems Carrot fly This affects parsnips as well as carrots. Keep the bed covered with fine mesh net to keep flies out. Put this on when you sow and leave it in place until the crop is lifted. Uncover for weeding, but don't leave the bed exposed for long if you want grub-free roots. Pea and bean weevil. These pests nibble the edges of leaves. This isn't a big problem on large plants, but emerging seedlings can be seriously set back. Cover peas and bean rows with cloches to keep weevils out and remove when plants are big enough to survive attack. Cutworms. Some moth larvae come out at night to creep along the soil surface. They eat through stems of small plants, such as lettuces. Remove any that you find when digging and unearth them from the soil round any plant that suddenly collapses. Wireworms. These yellow or orange segmented grubs may be found in abundance in newly cultivated soil. They feed on grass roots but prefer to burrow into potatoes. Remove any that you find when digging and be prepared to plant a sacrificial crop of potatoes to remove lots in one season. So now. Runner, French and broad beans. Peas, pumpkins, courgettes, spinach, salad leaves, basil, cabbages, 
kales, broccoli, cauliflower, carrots, beetroot, parsnips, sweet corn, swede, turnip and radish. Plant now. Onion sets, main crop potatoes, plug plant beetroot and cabbages. Tomatoes in grow bags go outside when all risk of frost is past. Harvest. Kale, sprouting broccoli, spring cabbage, cauliflower, Swiss chard, mange too, spinach, lettuce, salad leaves and parsley. In the greenhouse with Martin Fish. What to do in April? If you can provide constant warmth in a greenhouse, start to sow melon and cucumber seeds in a heated propagator. Sow peas and marsh too in large pots of compost where they will grow and crop in summer. Harvest spring cabbage and greens from the polytunnel and when they finish, clear the ground for summer crops. Sow brassicas including cabbage, Brussels sprouts, kale, cauliflower and calabrese in small cell trays. At this time of the year, an unheated greenhouse is fine. Earth up young potato plants growing in the polytunnel border and keep the soil moist at all times for strong growth. Sow beans in trays and pots. A greenhouse or polytunnel is the ideal place to start off tender vegetables, such as beans, to give them a head start. Sowing under cover in frost-free conditions means you can raise strong plants for the garden that can be planted out after frosts have passed. As a guide, sow around four to six weeks before you want the plants for planting out. Of course, many beans, including dwarf French beans and runner beans, if space allows, can be planted in a polytunnel for an early crop, and these can be sown as early as late March. Ideally, Sow in cell trays or small pots to avoid root disturbance when planting out and provide frost-free conditions to germinate. Make sure the propagator is ready. Late March and April is a busy time for seed sowing to produce veg plants for growing on under cover or outside in the veg plot. Tender vegetables such as courgettes, marrows, sweet corn, beans and squashes can all be sown straight into the soil. But when sown in trays or pots, you can control the number of plants raised and start them off a little earlier. Using a simple propagator will make a big difference and give the extra protection needed for good germination and healthy seedlings. Although many seeds will germinate without extra heat in late spring, by providing a little gentle base heat, you can germinate a wider range of plants and start a few weeks earlier than without heat. Use up the last of the lemon fruit. It's always good when you can utilise everything that you grow and in my greenhouse, the last of the lemons need picking out before they spoil and start to dry out. There is a limit to how many lemons you need at any one time, but these last few fruits won't be wasted and can be put to good use with the first sticks of rhubarb from the garden to make rhubarb jam. The jam is delicious, and by using the early rhubarb, it has a lovely deep pink colour in the jar. 
Once the last lemons are harvested, I can start feeding the plants more to help the tiny new fruits grow and develop, ready for picking in winter and spring. Prepare to plant your tomatoes. If you made an early sowing of tomato seeds back in late February in a heated propagator and grew the seedlings on in gentle heat, you should now have strong plants that are just about ready for planting into their permanent position. Ideally what you're looking for is a stout plant with dark green leaves and the first truss of flowers starting to develop in the tip of the plant. Once we get into April, tomatoes don't need much heat. In fact, if kept too warm, the plants will grow tall and leggy. They do, however, need to be protected from frost. So before planting into a cold greenhouse or polytunnel, check the forecast for the week ahead. Check plants for early greenfly. With longer, warmer days, plants growing under cover are now starting to make new, lush growth. This growth very often coincides with an attack of greenfly, aphids and other sap-sucking insects. Seedlings, young plants and established plants are all prone to attack, so keep your eyes open for the first signs of aphids on new leaves or in the growing tips. The easiest way to deal with them is to squash them between your fingers, but when the infestation is heavy, you may need to resort to spraying with a natural organic insecticide based on plant extracts. Be warned though, as they will soon come back, so check your plants regularly for more pests. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. April tips. As soon as you empty a watering can in the greenhouse, refill it from the water butt and bring it back inside. This does two things. Firstly, it allows the cold water time to get to room temperature so that when you water the plant, its roots don't suffer a chill. Secondly, by continually topping up the cans, it makes room in the water butt for when it next rains. If you're using mains tap water, also keep the cans full to allow the chill to go.
Use garden fleece in the greenhouse and polytunnel to cover over young plants and seedlings on cold or frosty nights. Ideally, remove the fleece the following morning to allow maximum light to the plants. Remember to sow lettuce and salad leaves little and often to provide you with a continuous supply of fresh produce over summer. The seed packets also need storing somewhere cool or, if possible, in a fridge. Sow radish and fast-growing salads between slower-growing plants to maximise the growing space. Keep chitting and planting potatoes in the ground or pots every few weeks so that you have fresh new potatoes all through the summer and into early autumn. KG Problem Solver Got a fruit or veg problem? Ask KG for help. Dodgy bean seeds I thought you might be interested in my experience with asparagus bean seeds. In the February issue of Kitchen Garden, Rob Smith wrote a great article called Offbeat Beans. I thought I'd try them, but was unable to find a supplier. Eventually, I ordered both red and green varieties through Amazon. The seeds arrived very quickly, and I was surprised that they came from China. I was even more surprised, no, horrified, on opening the packet of red bean seeds to find it contained bean seeds with holes and many, many dead weevil-type bodies. I burned the whole packet, but wonder if this supplier is regulated and is this how pests are spread worldwide. Could you tell me if it would be safe to plant the green seeds, which look OK? From Josie Smith of Gloucestershire. Emma says, I think your experience highlights the importance of selecting good quality seeds from a reliable source, and it is very worrying that seeds could perhaps be imported seemingly without the rigorous checks that seeds sold through the usual outlets in the UK go through before sale to the public. This, of course, is disappointing for you, but more worryingly risks bringing new pests into the UK. The best you can do is to avoid buying from unknown sources on the internet, but if they are an established company, UK-based, you can at least go back to them easily for an explanation. They'll be able to trace the source of the seeds to the grower they came from and find a full back history. Due to the life cycle of bean seed weevils and beetles, it seems unlikely that your green seeds will be affected as they would usually emerge when the seeds are in storage just leaving telltale holes, and often seeds germinate despite the damage since the pests only feed on the leaf parts of the seed and not the embryo. Personally, I'd be tempted to burn the lot and purchase some more from a good source such as Chilton Seeds. www.chiltonseeds.co.uk Flatworm Fear we found some worms on our allotment, which we believe are flatworms. Could you please identify them for us? We've had the plot for four years and have not seen them before. From Lindsay Williams of The Wirral. Guy Barter, Chief Horticulturalist, RHS. Guy says, These look mightily like Australian flatworms. They tend to travel around in pot plants, and that might be how they turned up at your allotment site. They seem quite common in the South and in Wales and don't seem to be as harmful as originally thought, but they do feed on earthworms and that could have a long-term impact. However, 
it is still helpful to report flatworms to the Non-Native Species Secretariat at www.brc.ac.uk forward slash i record forward slash enter hyphen non hyphen native hyphen records. There is nothing to be done, unfortunately, except destroy any that you find, although that won't make a significant difference to their numbers. Don't move any allotment soil back to the garden, which might spread the flatworms on produce, plants or even grubby tools and boots. It would be worth alerting other plot holders so they too can avoid inadvertently spreading this organism. Gardeners are well advised to carefully check any plants they buy for flatworms. Pruning Meddlers I have a three-year-old meddler on Quince A rootstock, which fruited for the first time this year. I had planned to grow it as a small standard, but I've taken my eye off the ball in respect of the pruning. It has long branches growing from quite low down on the trunk, and the leader has been pruned out. What restorative pruning should I carry out, and when? Will it affect fruiting next year? From Annie Sutcliffe of Stevenage. Steve says, Meddlers can be treated much like apples for their formative pruning the first four years, and the main time to prune is when they are dormant from November to March, but February or March is ideal. Yours seems to be well on its way since it has a nice, clear, straight stem, and the young main branches have made an open vase shape, which is ideal. So all there really is to do is cut back the main branches by a third to an outward-facing bud and remove any thin shoots emerging from the main stem below the point where it begins to branch. At the same time, I think I would prune back the thin shoot to one or two buds, again choosing an outward-facing one. From next winter onwards, your tree should only need a very light prune to keep it within bounds, but try to keep this to a minimum, removing no more than a quarter of the length of misplaced new growths and remove any shoots which grow in towards the centre of the plant. Meddlers don't respond well to hard pruning, and by doing so, you're likely to reduce the crop. So, once established, unless you really have to, avoid pruning as much as possible. Millions of molehills Help! I have millions of molehills in my garden. I know it's a sign that the soil has loads of worms, but I need to rescue my plants from their tunnelling. Any ideas what I can do without resorting to a mole catcher? From Mrs Janice Sharkey of Galloway. Steve says, Moles are not easy to remove, especially when you are living in a rural location. The main tunnelling activity is in advance of the breeding season, from February to June, at a time when burrowing activity is at its highest and the hills tend to be biggest. You may, in fact, only have one very active mole. The problem in your case is that the moles will happily occupy empty burrows, so even if you employ a mole catcher, which to be honest is the most efficient option, new animals are likely to come in from the surrounding fields. Although I'm loath to suggest it, perhaps your best bet is to ask a mole catcher to rid you of the existing animals. The alternative, if you'd sooner, is to try and trap them yourself, but this is notoriously difficult. 
Or, if you prefer, you could try various deterrents such as sonic devices, mothballs, anti-mole bulbs, kids' windmills or bottles buried in the runs, driving them back to the fields. All can have a limited effect. Traps which capture the moles alive are available, but the animals often die from stress before they can be released, so in some ways are less humane than those which bring about a swift end. Voles in the compost I have bank voles in all three of my slat-sided compost heaps. Their tunnels are good for aeration, I imagine, and they tackle household compost, fruit skins, etc., with enthusiasm. When I lift the covers, they gaze up with mild surprise before disappearing down a hole. They can, I know, be a nuisance in the vegetable garden, and some years I get damage to my beetroot, but the compost heaps are 50 feet away from the veg cage, and I think the problem voles belong to a different colony. Should I discourage them? From Janet Lockett of Suffolk. Emma says, As you have found, Voles can cause damage to crops, and I do know of some gardeners who experience real problems due to extensive burrowing in the plot, disturbance of roots and nibbling of root crops and seedlings. However, apart from the damage to your beetroot, which may be caused by a different colony of bank voles or field voles, I think I would allow the voles in your compost heap to stay. As you say, they can't be doing any harm to the compost itself, and may even be aerating and helping to digest and add fertility to the heap. They will also eat insects, so may help you to keep numbers under control. Moving them on may even encourage them to move to your plot as the next best source of food. Classy curds? Yes, you can. Cauliflower has a reputation for being a tricky plant to grow, but with careful preparation... And a little TLC, says Rob Smith, you can be assured of a good crop. Cauliflower is one of those staple kitchen vegetables which makes us think of cauliflower cheese, perhaps. But please don't relegate it to that one dish, as it can do so much more. After all, homemade piccalilli wouldn't be the same without small chunks of cauliflower sticking through the turmeric and mustard spice sauce. Neither would a deliciously spicy alu gobi curry with its soft potatoes and cauliflower pieces. Traditionally a boiled vegetable, cauliflower is now finding new fans who love it raw with dips or made into rice. Choose right. Cauliflowers are part of the brassica family, so they're related to cabbages and kales. Yet it's the immature flower, otherwise known as a curd, that is the main affair with this allotment favourite not the leaf, as with others in the family. That said, I do like to steam the smaller, younger leaves which surround the curd. They're delicious. When it comes to growing cauliflowers, there are a few things to remember which can help increase your success with them and stave off disaster. You need to make sure you're growing the right cauliflower for the right time of year. They can't all be grown at the same time and some perform better than others at certain times of year. Check the seed packet to see when you can sow and harvest the plants and always try to stick within these limits. Some are better spring-sown, while others prefer to be sown in autumn, grown through winter and harvested the following spring. Then there are a few, such as 
all the year round, which will crop almost all year and can be sown successionally in spring and autumn. Sowing You can start seed off in a seed bed if you like, but I prefer to start them in trays or modules, especially the more expensive F1 varieties, as I don't want hungry slugs to eat the seedlings. Cauliflowers are pretty hardy, so don't need any additional heat to get them started. A cold greenhouse or cold frame will suffice as long as it's around 8 to 10 degrees centigrade or 46 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. After all, you want stocky plants, not leggy ones, which get battered by the weather. You should sow seeds around 0.5 centimetres or a quarter of an inch deep into good quality compost. They should germinate in about 14 days. Then, when large enough to handle, you can either pop them on before planting out or transplant them from their seed bed to where they are to grow, around 50 to 75 centimetres or 20 to 30 inches apart, depending on what type of cauliflower they are. Planting As a rule, you should plant summer or autumn cropping varieties around 60 centimetres or 24 inches apart, while overwintering ones should be up to 75 centimetres or 30 inches apart, as this allows for more airflow during the wetter month. This can help prevent leaves rotting and problems spreading from plant to plant. If you fancy growing single-serving size cauliflowers, you can plant summer varieties 30 centimetres or 12 inches apart. This will force them to produce smaller, tennis ball-sized curds. Whichever distance you're planting at, you should make sure the soil is as fertile as you can get it, as this is one of the keys to success with cauliflowers. I add a bucket of well-rotted manure per metre square to my cauliflower beds before forking it through well and treading the soil flat and compact. This may sound bizarre as most plants don't like compacted soil, but these plants love to be firm in the ground. Rocking in the wind can cause the curd to blow and open up, rather than stay nice and tight. When planting, all brassicas can be planted deep and cauliflowers are no exception. I plant them so their first leaves are literally just above the soil level. And if your plants are a little leggy and tall, you can even remove the first leaves and plant them a little deeper. By doing this, you're also going to get a sturdier, more solid plant. Firm the plants in and put a cabbage collar around the base of the plant to stop cabbage root fly, or use a thick layer of grit around the base of the plant as it does the same job. It stops the fly and larvae from getting to the base of the plant where it meets the soil. Aftercare Water the plants in well and keep them well watered throughout their lives, especially in dry weather. Any checking growth due to plants becoming dry will cause the curds to be small, so always make sure they're kept moist. This can be one of the biggest problems when growing on an allotment you can't get to very often, so make sure to add the organic matter to the soil before planting, as this will help retain moisture in the soil around the plants. If you want to grow a good cauliflower and not have caterpillar damage, you'll have to net your plants. Yet I would advise going one step further and using EnviroMesh. This very fine netting 
will stop not only birds and butterflies, but also whitefly from getting to your plants. It really is the only way to grow a perfect cauliflower in my eyes. When plants are established and before the curd starts to form, I add a nitrogen-rich fertiliser such as sulphate of ammonia to help the formation of the curd. 20 to 30 grams per square metre is usually fine. Just rake it through the topsoil around the plants. Discoloured curds. If you've ever grown cauliflowers that have gone a grey or yellow colour, this could be one of two things, slugs or sun. Slugs will graze on the surface of the curd, causing it to scar and discolour. Control the pesky critters how you see fit. Just keep them away from your collies. Sunlight can also discolour older varieties of cauliflower, so be sure to cover the forming curd with its own leaves, either by using a clothes peg to hold them together over the curd, or by snapping the mid-rib of the leaves and bending them over on themselves to prevent light from getting through. If this all sounds like a little too much messing about for you, opt for growing one of the coloured curd varieties, such as Purple Graffiti F1 or Orange Cheddar F1, as coloured curds actually get more vibrant when the sunlight gets to them. Coloured varieties taste just the same as white ones, but add a bit more colour to your plate. Be warned though, if you boil the purple ones, they go blue. So try steaming, stir-frying or roasting them to keep their colours. Along with coloured varieties, there are Romanesco types, which have a more pointed, conical shape to the curd. They come in green and white, perfect to add to homemade piccalilli for a different shape. There are also multi-headed cauliflowers, which produce a larger head in the centres than smaller, single-serving-sized curds around the outside. Lastly, there are now varieties which form the cauliflower equivalent of sprouting broccoli. Long, tender spears of tasty cauliflower, perfect for steaming or serving raw with dips and salads. Try something different. Multi-headed F1. This produces one large head and three to five smaller side heads for later use. This unique cut-and-come-again cauliflower is perfect for those of you who like to harvest your crop in your own time. Available from Sutton's. Chinese Sweet Sprouting F1 This variety produces masses of long stems tipped with small white florets. They have a crunchy texture and a mild sweet flavour. Add them to stir-fries, steam them or eat them raw. Available from Thompson & Morgan. Graffiti F1 This variety has the deepest purple cauliflower curds, which are perfect for adding colour to any summer or autumn dish. Delicious and highly nutritious. The colour intensifies with exposure to light. RHS AGM They're available from King's. Neckar Pearl. This reliable variety can be harvested in summer right through to autumn. The vigorous foliage protects the white curds, makes great cauliflower rice an easy way to get more veg into your diet. Available from Organic Gardening Catalogue. Cheddar F1. A variety which produces vigorous plants, culminating in attractive orange curds. 
best harvested when approximately 10 to 18 centimetres or 4 to 7 inches across. There's no need to cover the curds from the sun. Available from Dobies. All My Reads gives you unlimited access to more than 100 specialist books, from history to mystery, rockets to royals, planes to trains, bikes to biographies and much, much more. Access the digital books across multiple devices, including your desktop, tablet and phone. All My Reads is just $4.99 per month. Visit allmyreads.com to find out more. Browse the extensive range of titles and try your first month for just 99 pence. Get ready to browse and begin. Still to come, we round up the 10 fruit and 10 veggies that shine in pots and containers. Also, we chat to our prize-winning Plotter of the Month. But first, bring on the bees. Bees perform such a vital role in the garden, yet for many reasons they are struggling and need our help. Kitchen Garden Editor Steve Ott suggests some simple ways to lend these wonderful insects a helping hand. Many of our favourite crops, including most of our fruits and a number of popular vegetables, need to be pollinated in order to produce a good crop. Even some which are self-pollinating will produce bigger and better pickings once bees and other pollinators have worked their magic. The relationship between plants and insects is complicated and we're only just discovering the many amazing adaptions made over millions of years by both insect and flower to ensure a successful partnership. Unfortunately, we have unwittingly managed to damage this relationship by massively changing habitats, affecting climate and introducing pesticides. We've also been busy breeding ever more complicated and blousy flower shapes, and while large double blooms may be more aesthetically pleasing to us, they must be a complete mystery to insects which, in many cases, are simply not adapted to them and find it impossible to reach the pollen and nectar hidden deep inside. Making your plot bee-friendly This is much easier than you might imagine. We already supply some flowers in the form of flowering crops. The many popular fruit plants that we love so much, such as apples, pears, cherries and apricots, all flower early in the season and form an important source of food for bumblebees at just the time when overwintering queens are coming out of hibernation and take to the wing to start new colonies. This is also an important time for other types of bee, such as solitary mason and leaf-cutting bees, which also emerge in spring to breed and build nests to lay their eggs. Of course, it is just as important to ensure a good supply of food for bees, both wild bees and honey bees, while they are active, right through from early spring to the autumn. In the veg garden, there can be a bit of a hungry gap on the plot once the flowers on early fruit fade, although early crops such as autumn-sown broad beans may help. Many of our more popular veggies are harvested long before they have a chance to flower, so you may have to call on other garden plants and wildflowers to help keep the feast going for hungry bees until other flowering crops like strawberries and cane fruit kick in. Fortunately, allotments have always been home to a wide range of flowering plants for cutting, 
and many gardeners have learned the value of allowing some areas of the plot to host plants which add colour to the garden, but that also help bees and other insect pollinators and predators to thrive, whether these are cultivated or wild. Bee Lacks with the Lawn Most gardens have a lawn, and allotment sites may have a patch that can be treated with a loose, hands-off approach to mowing. By mowing only lightly in spring, and not at all after the middle to the end of May, wild flowers that will naturally be present in the turf, such as daisies, clover and self-heal, the mix will vary depending on the location and soil, will be able to flower rather than being chopped and consigned to the compost heap. You can do the same with grass paths around and between your plot. By cutting a little less, the flowers of lawn species can be allowed to flower to the benefit of the local wildlife. Grow a mini meadow Traditional meadows were a place where man and nature worked in harmony. But due to modern farming practices and the encroachment of buildings on the countryside, they're now in short supply. So, why not plant your own? It may look easy, but making a species-rich, sustainable meadow takes work and maintenance. Perhaps the simplest way to start is to set aside part of the garden, even a small part, where you can introduce a variety of wild flowers to give a spread of blooming through the summer and autumn. The key to a good meadow is poor soil. Anything which has had lots of organic matter and fertiliser added is not ideal. But if you have an area of rough grass which has been much neglected, this can be perfect. It's not that you can't make a meadow from good soil, it just needs more work. In my own garden, I make a point of giving vigorous perennial wild flowers, such as field scabious, a Chelsea chop, cutting back new growth by half every year in mid-May, coinciding with the start of the Chelsea Flower Show. This removes much of the initial soft, lush growth which is gathered up and composted, and with it some of the excess nutrients. It also checks growth and encourages shooting, so I get shorter plants, more like those found growing naturally in the hedgerows, but with more flowers. When looking for plants to grow in your meadow, remember that it is a mistake to fight nature by trying to grow plants that will not thrive on your soil or climate. Instead, get some advice from local experts, such as your local wildlife trust, or look around you and take note of what plants grow naturally in your neighbourhood or in your local nature reserve. From these, select the best for bees and aim to have as many of these as you can. Of course, you can always simply plant common meadow or cornfield annuals, and all the major seed companies supply these. They are fast-growing and pretty, as well as being great for bees and other insects. Over time, however, unless you keep sowing, you may find that certain species multiply while others die out, according to how much they like your local conditions. Some may like it rather too much and actually become invasive, so that over time you end up with a meadow containing just one species. This is fine, except it may all flower at the same time, meaning the bees go hungry before and after your dominant wild flower has blossomed. Maintaining a wildflower meadow, however small, therefore involves some weeding out of dominant species 
and replanting or re-sowing of others. At the end of the season, once all the plants have flowered and set seeds, the top growth is cut back and raked up ready for the compost heap, or left over winter as a place for insects, frogs and hedgehogs to survive until the spring. Simple is best. The very best flowers for pollinators are single flat blooms with few petals that form a nice big platform, with the male and female parts exposed in the centre and easy for insects to reach. Umbrella-shaped blooms, umbellifers, such as fennel, dill, angelica and cow parsley are also great and will also attract hoverflies which are not only great pollinators, but also super effective pest predators. Not all great bee flowers are native meadow species. Many are introduced from all over the world and are now popular garden plants. Pollinators have adapted to be able to gather nectar and pollen from most of them. KG Top Tip Make a Home for Bees Different species of bees have different requirements when it comes to nesting. Solitary bees, like leafcutters and mason bees, will look for cavities in the soil, walls, trees, bricks and in the hollow stems of plants, such as bamboo, as in bee hotels. Social bumblebees nest in various sites, such as old rodent burrows, under sheds or in bird nest boxes. Some nest in tussocks of rough grass or sheltered corners, and the eaves of buildings and nests may contain up to 400 insects. You can buy solitary bee hotels, or they're easy to make, by drilling old logs or stuffing sections of piping with old hollow plant stems or bamboo canes cut to a suitable length. Many other insects will use these too as a safe place to hide away for the winter. KG Favourites here are a few of my favourite common all garden blooms that are also great bee plants. Check out your local garden to see which are most likely to thrive in your area. Spring and early summer flowering. Foxglove, poisonous if eating, will often self-seed. Crocus, great to lift your spirits after a long winter. Apple and pear have several varieties for cross-pollination. Blackberry and bramble. Why not let a few brambles grow through a hedge? Broom. Dazzling colour in spring and a light fragrance. Hellebore. Great early colour for the garden and often self-seed. Lungwort. Pulmonaria. Attractive foliage too. Summer flowering. Alliums. Ornamental and cultivated onions. Strawberry. Cultivated and alpine. Erangium, sea holly, often self-seeds. Echinops, globe thistle, a real bee magnet. Scabious, cultivated and wild. Oregano, marjoram. Clover, including trefoils and vetches. Cotoneaster, berries also great for birds in autumn. Spear thistle, remove the flower heads before seeding. Lavender. So many uses and also now a trendy pot plant. Chives. The flowers are edible too. Hardy geraniums. Long flowering season. Borage. Will self-seed freely. Comfrey. 
also makes a great liquid feed. St. John's wort, wild and cultivated types. Daisies, such as oxeye and lawn daisies. Hedge woundwort, Stachys sylvatica, plus cultivated types. Late summer and autumn, monkshood, all parts are highly poisonous. Ivy, the high-calorie berries are great winter food for birds. Budlia, loved by butterflies and other pollinators. Michaelmas daisies, the simple blooms of asters provide essential late food. Winter flowering, a few species of bees are active during the winter and planting one or more of these plants will give them a food source. Mahonia also has attractive dark purple berries. Viburnum ex bodnantens, great winter fragrance. Winter honeysuckle, amazing scent. For more information, visit the Bumblebee Conservation Trust for much more on helping Britain's 250 species of bees. Plus find details on building a nest for bumblebees at www.bumblebeeconservation.org The Potted Plot Since lockdown, gardeners are looking to fill every space with produce. Many are novices, keen to try a few packets of seeds for the first time. So, where to start? Steve Ott looks to pots to provide the answer. You don't need acres of space to grow your own delicious edibles. In fact, by far the best way to begin is by growing a few plants in pots or a small raised bed. If you enjoy that, and you will, you can always expand your efforts later. A paved area is just perfect for filling with pots and many crops are colourful and attractive, either alone or dotted among ornamental plants in pots and containers or in the borders. It is amazing just how much you can produce in containers on the patio, a balcony or dotted around the garden and most fruit and veggies lend themselves to growing in this way. Many others are suited to growing in hanging baskets or to climbing up walls, arches or obelisks. Top 10 Veg Crops for Containers As mentioned, most vegetable crops will do well in pots. Here are a few favourites. Tomatoes, a great one for beginners with both upright, cordon and bush types available. Growing bags or tomato planters are ideal for two or three plants and the bags themselves can be placed in a growing bag holder to make them more decorative. Alternatively, grow in pots or hanging baskets, selecting a dwarf or trailing variety. Peppers. From eye-watering hot chilies to sweet peppers, these varied plants are a delight to grow and so colourful as part of a decorative display. Peppers come in a range of sizes, from those which form large bushes to compact decorative types with upright growing fruit such as rasmataz and prairie fire that are even perfect on the windowsill. Carrots. Sow in succession every month or so to give a long season of harvesting. All varieties will grow in containers, but some such as Finger Like Sugar Snacks 54F1 and Round Paris Market are ideal. Sowing thinly is a must. Allow 2.5 centimetres or 1 inch between seeds. Harvest the first roots as finger carrots, leaving others to grow on. Aubergines. Keep under cover during a cold spell and bring outside in June or July. 
There are many interesting varieties, and some companies, such as Sutton's, produce a patio mix of compact, spineless plants, producing fruit in purple and white. Perfect for the purpose. Onions. Most types do well in containers, whether as direct-sown seeds or onion sets, planted in autumn or spring. Sets placed so that they are almost touching can be allowed to grow until the first bulbs are ready to harvest as spring onions. The rest left to grow on to form larger bulbs. Potatoes. A classic container veg and good crops are to be had using everything from old compost bags to large tubs or purpose-made potato planters. Early varieties are the best and a second crop can be planted in August for harvesting from late autumn. Salad leaves. All manner of mixed or single salads can be grown in containers as cut-and-come-again crops and some, such as mustard red frills, are highly decorative. Ideal for successional sowings to give a constant supply, but in midsummer, high temperatures may cause them to bolt, run to seed, so avoid sowing during July and August. Lettuce. Either as salad leaves or fully grown plants, lettuce thrive in containers. Red leaf types are very attractive and can also be planted in the borders as edible decorative edging. Red salad bowl does well here and a single plant can be harvested over many weeks if just a few leaves are harvested when needed. Radish. Fast-growing radishes are ideal for troughs and pots or can be used in the border among other plants. In containers, they will bolt if allowed to dry out, so regular watering is key and best results come from early and late season sowings, March to June and late August to early September. Try white icicle or a multicoloured mixture for the kids. Herbs Many annual and perennial herbs thrive in pots, from the many basil varieties to parsley, coriander, thymes and sages. Mint, too, is best confined to a large pot where its invasive growth can be contained. This vigorous plant requires dividing and repotting each spring to keep it happy and vigorous. Place fragrant herbs where they can be easily touched to release their calming scent. Top 10 Fruits for Containers Strawberries Strawberries are easy to grow and suitable for all types of containers and hanging baskets. Growing them in this way makes them easier to protect from pests such as slugs and snails and birds as they are ripening. Blueberries Few of us have the lime-free soil these plants require, so growing in pots and raised beds allows you to grow them in ericaceous compost where they will thrive. They need very little pruning, just watering and occasional feeding with a suitable fertiliser to provide you with spring flowers, summer fruits and tinted leaves in autumn. Apples. Both cooking and eating apples will do well in large containers, providing they are well fed and watered during the growing season. It is important to choose at least two varieties which flower at the same time to ensure pollination. You should also choose a suitable rootstock such as M9 or M26. Pears. The advice for apples also applies to pears, although a few popular varieties such as Conference are partly self-fertile. Again, choose a suitable rootstock to encourage compact growth such as Quince C.
apricots, nectarines, peaches and plums. Growing in pots allows you to move these attractive trees under cover or to protect with fleece should frost threaten. However, if moved inside, you might need to hand-pollinate the blossoms to make up for the lack of insects. Choose a suitable dwarfing rootstock, for example, Pixie or St. Julian A. Figs. These vigorous plants benefit from the restriction of a large container. They're self-fertile, so do not need a pollination partner for fruit, and benefit from being undercover during the winter when the tiny developing figlets can benefit from frost protection. Grapes. As with figs, pollination partners are not needed, but they will require support, such as canes or a trellis, and regular watering and pruning in the summer. The main branches, rods, can be cut back hard each winter to keep the plant compact, or you can train them into a semi-permanent framework on a wall or fence. Choosing your container Plastic pots have received a bad press. However, they have certain advantages over other materials and can be recycled for many years. Some are made from recycled materials. They generally require less watering, are light in weight and highly frost resistant. For trees, choose one without an inner lip at the top or you'll have to destroy your pot when the time comes to move your plant on to get it out. Of course, if you prefer to avoid using plastics altogether, traditional terracotta is great and attractive, although porous, so does require more watering. Other plastic-free alternatives are becoming more widely available, such as metal, rubber and plant fibres. All containers should be well-drained and supported on pot feet, wood offcuts will do, to allow a free flow of water from the compost. Container gardening top tips. Water regularly. Potted plants rely on you almost entirely for water since the leaves often deflect it. Check them every day in summer. If you need to be away for long periods, consider installing a reliable irrigation system. These can be linked to a water butt or the main supply. Right compost. Loam-based compost such as John Innes No. 3 are ideal for long-term fruit crops not blueberries. This gives stability both in the pot and against the wind, but is heavy. Lighter, pit-free composts are ideal for strawberries and all veggies, and allow pots to be moved around easily. Start feeding after six weeks with a general liquid fertiliser to maintain growth and vigour. Remove the top inch of compost from the surface of permanent plantings, for example, trees, each spring, sprinkle some controlled-release fertiliser and cover with a new layer of fresh potting compost. In this way, potted trees will thrive for longer before they need moving into a larger container or planting out. Feed regularly. Provide an annual feed-and-forget dressing of a controlled-release fertiliser or try regular doses of high-potash tomato feed or comfrey liquid. These are fine for most fruiting plants. For leafy crops, opt for a high nitrogen version such as miracle Grow or homemade nettle liquid. Move permanent, perennial plants on annually, repotting in late winter or spring once the roots are tracking around the inside of the pot and before they become pot-bound. With regular feeding and mulching as above, 
potted fruit trees should thrive in large pots for a number of years, but will eventually require planting in the soil unless you're able to accommodate very large containers. Use mutual shading in summer. Many vegetable crops will bolt if allowed to become too hot or dry in the summer months. This problem can be partly overcome when growing in pots by moving them into a shadier spot or by grouping pots together to provide mutual shading. Our Plotter of the Month Last year we officially launched a competition to find 12 readers and their plots that would feature in Kitchen Garden magazine this year. Here we feature one of our winners. Natalie Joariah from London Natalie and her family grow veg in their garden and also have a small community plot. For Natalie, the plot is an escape from the pressures of work and running a household and a way to connect to nature. Where do you grow your veg? When we moved here five years ago, I set up two raised beds at the bottom of the garden but soon expanded to dotting more fruit and veg into the borders and growing a huge amount in various pots on the decking. Last year, I managed to get a small plot only two by four metres in the community gardens at the end of my road. This has allowed me to grow things that take up too much space at home, such as winter squashes, purple sprouting, broccoli and sprouts. How long have you been growing veg? I only really started growing veg when I moved into a shared student house that had a garden 17 years ago. I lived with an Italian friend who missed being able to buy quality fresh veg in the markets. We set up a little patch to grow herbs and veg to make our meals go further. Good quality fresh veg even then could be quite expensive to buy and having a small patch meant we could grow a little bit of everything we needed. That idea of growing a little bit of everything to supplement what we buy with good quality produce is still one of the main reasons I grow today although having kids has changed what I now grow. Do you have help on your plot? I don't really share my plot. My kids help with the occasional dig and seed planting, but I take care of the spaces myself. My other half leaves it all to me, but can occasionally be dragged in to do any heavy lifting of manure and compost. Do you have any plans? If money and time were no option... There are a few structural things I'd try to get done in the garden. I'd love to remove an old shed and patio and replace with a dedicated eating area and a real greenhouse. I use a little plastic one currently, weighted down and tied to the fence. I also need to fix a more permanent support for the raspberries and fix some fallen wooden borders. When we first moved in, my son and I made a bug house from some old wooden shelves. It needs replacing this year, which I'm looking forward to doing with the kids again. With a young family, there is never enough time in the garden to get these small jobs done. But I love the garden as it is. It's real, not a show garden. It reflects how central our garden is to our busy lives. The kids' watering cans are laying about. The raspberries droop where the kids can reach them. The lawn is patchy and covered in toys. And over the years... We have made air-dry clay cane toppers and the remains of windmills dot the plot. Did you learn anything new about your plot last year? In a previous year, I maximised my growing space by growing a trailing type of courgette up some canes. It was really successful. 
There was better air circulation and they were easy to pick, so I'll definitely do it again. Last year I used three canes dotted around the main stem, as that's all I could get hold of during lockdown. But this year I'm planning to use a thicker broom handle and tie the stem using some strips of old t-shirts I've been saving. The patty pans were also easy to train up a cane and along the trellis I use for peas, so we'll grow them up a frame too. Did you have any plot challenges last year? Not quite a success was the melons I grew last year. The community gardens come with the opportunity to share a patch in the greenhouse. It wasn't very big, but I managed to grow a mini gala melon and some dwarf oriental long beans. The melon was amazingly sweet, but I lost my plant early to an infestation of aphids. I had lots of ladybird larva on my plot outside, so I transferred many to the melons. But although the aphids went, the plant never fully recovered. They were not in the best location, really, tucked in the furthest back corner with a mass of communal tomatoes to get through. So next year, I'll try to get a patch near the door. Have you a top tip you could pass on? I grow cordon tomatoes in front of my decking. I found they grow best in pots rather than grow bags. I also switch to rings, which keeps the moisture in and makes it easy for me to see how much water they're getting. I learned over the years from observing how well my side shoots grew to always leave one, so I have two strong fruiting canes per plant. My sheltered location also means I can get my plants outside sooner than most. It's handy to keep these types of observations for the following year, so my top tip is to keep a diary. I have a cute notebook I write everything in, from when I sow and plant out to varieties I want to try and top tips I've come across. This year I've learnt I need to sow my corn for the community garden plot at least three weeks later than my home garden plot. I've also adjusted my tomato sowing times so it's perfect for my sheltered garden and make sure I can get them off the windowsills before the next seedlings need to go there. Name a veg you particularly love growing. My favourite thing to grow is sweet corn. It is so sweet picked fresh, nothing like what you can buy in the shop, which makes it an absolute must for me. Over the years, I've learnt how to best grow it for my small patch. In mid-April, I sow my seeds into root trainers on my windowsill. This is pretty early, but I live in London and my garden is sheltered although next year I will sow the batch for the community gardens three weeks later as the site is more exposed. I grow swift, which sets fruit early, so is perfect for our often short growing season and means they are ripe before the risk of mould sets in with the wet Septembers. I side dress with manure or compost when plants are about two to three foot, if plants look like they need greening up, and alternate between a seaweed feed and diluted nitrogen-rich feed once they get going. Because I grow in such small amounts, blocks of around 12 to 14, I hand-pollinate to ensure good full cobs. Do you have any advice to pass on to new gardeners? My main advice to new growers is read. Look things up, read magazines, browse forums, ask questions. Sure, you can just chuck seeds in and hope for the best, but it's always more successful when you listen to the experience of others. Do you recycle materials on the plot? 
With so many other things to fund, gardening supplies tend to be bottom of the list, so I do try to build what I need from recycled bits and pieces. When my plastic greenhouses eventually die, I reuse the frames to cover my veg to support fleeces and or nets, depending on the time of year. The wire shelves are used to make climbing structures on my wall and to cover bare ground and plant pots to stop cats toileting and squirrels or foxes digging things up. I also found an old white clothes area someone was throwing out that I use for squashes to trail up. This year I've been saving strips of old t-shirts to use as ties for the courgettes and climbing squashes next year. Do you mind a few weeds on your plot? I tend to do walks round the garden and plot most days, so I'll pull the occasional weed then. Little and often keeps on top of most of it, and then I will pop down Saturday mornings to clear bigger areas. It's a working garden in a busy family, so weeds are just part of it. I do make sure to get them before they seed, though. How have the children influenced your growing? When I had kids, it became important to me to grow fruit and veg that the kids could pick and graze on from the garden. I wanted them to get the same enjoyment out of picking fresh produce and avoid dinnertime battles over eating greens. There isn't loads of space, so I prioritise growing things that are usually expensive to buy and things the kids can pick themselves. Fresh peas from the pods are a favourite and I can never grow enough. Last year I added cucumelons, trailing through the cucumbers and climbing green beans, which were a hit with the kids. The first thing I stopped growing while the kids were toddlers were the hot chilli plants, replaced with cherry tomatoes in a variety of colours. The chillies have finally made a reappearance this year. I'd never grown fruit, but after I had kids, in went strawberries, thornless raspberries, blackberries and blueberries. Last year I added a gooseberry and a black currant my son gave me for my birthday. I think having a garden to graze in has helped my kids develop a healthy relationship with food. They're both willing to try anything we grow and have developed personal favourites. My son loves chai flowers and sprouting kale tops. Why do you like growing fruit and veg? For me personally, growing gives me an escape into the fresh air. It's therapeutic in that I find I don't think about anything while gardening, just doing the job in hand or planning what changes need to be made. Gardening is a form of mindfulness or meditation, I guess that absorbs me completely, separating me from the day-to-day -day stresses of balancing work and a busy household. There is a simple pleasure in growing from seed and feeding your family that gives us space and time to be outside noticing nature and being in sync with the seasons. I love the robins that hop down when I'm digging. I put out the occasional little grubs and caterpillars on the bird feeder and give them my sunflowers. From sowing seeds to harvesting to clearing away at the end of the season, I love that we share that cycle with nature. It's so easy these days, living in a big city, to be disconnected from this natural rhythm. Top tip, hand pollinate sweet corn. This is really easy to do and I recommend it for home growers. To do this, I knock the pollen from the top flowering part of the corn, the tassels, into a plastic container. 
I then use a wide dry paintbrush to paint the pollen onto the silks that appear lower down on the growing corn cobs. Each silk strand becomes a tiny kernel of corn when pollinated, so for full cobs you need every silk pollinated. Thank you for listening to the audio edition of the April 2021 issue of Kitchen Garden magazine. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe to Kitchen Garden Prime for just 4.99 per month. You'll be getting a whole lot for your plot including an easy read tablet and phone edition to read anywhere, anytime. Exclusive access to 10 years of digital back issue archives, access to exclusive content from the online allotment, the Mudcateers website. Plus, the monthly print magazine will be delivered free to your door each month. Head to classicmagazines.co.uk forward slash KG Prime to sign up today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.